We are going to continue our series uh, dealing with what it means to say yes to Jesus, really. And I'd like to do so by taking a look at a few celebrities, uh, well-known figures in American culture, and uh, we'll talk about what they have in common. Tom Hanks. Everybody knows Tom Hanks, the actor. Next is Chris Paul, athlete, MBA. Move on to Marky, Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg. Good vibrations. Um, who cares if he's an actor? That's Marky Mark. Hillary Clinton. Well-known politician, LeBron James, featuring a Cleveland Cavaliers jersey. Vladimir Putin, president of Russia, fan favorite. Jim Gaffigan, very funny comedian. Hot Pockets. Selena Gomez, well-known pop singer. Whoopi Goldberg, everybody knows Whoopi. And Lady Gaga. That is a diverse group of well-known people, all walks of life. Anybody want to take a crack at what they have in common? Well, there you go. Yeah, that's probably... They've never been in my kitchen. Anyone? Anyone? Cheers. Cliff Clavin, Jeopardy. Anyway, so uh, all of them are associated with or connected with or professing uh, Christians. Uh, in some way associated with Christianity. Now... I would never take it uh, upon myself, I would never take on the responsibility uh, of deciding who's in and who's out, neither should you. God's not going to ask us to help him out with that. So there's no point in deciding who's really a Christian, who's not. But for me, it brings up the fascinating concept of what does it even mean to be associated with Christianity? What does it mean to be a Christian? If, if such a variety of people could call themselves with such a variety of uh, lifestyles, could call themselves a Christian. What does it really mean? What did Jesus come to do 2,000 years ago? Like 2,000 years ago when he came, what, what did he hope to start? Was it a new religion? Did he come to start a new religion? Did he come to start Christianity? Like, all right, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to start Christianity. Or was it to get people to believe uh, a certain way? I'm going to go down there so that people believe I died for them and then they can swear less and wait to die. Is that what he came to start? So that's what we're talking about this month. What did Jesus come to start? What does it mean to say yes to him? What does it mean to convert, if you want a really generic term, to Christianity? What does that mean, to be a follower of Jesus? Um, if you check the box in the census, Christian, what are you saying? Um, what would Jesus want you to be saying? With that, so last or the first week, we talked about um, it, one of the things it means if you say yes to Jesus is you're gonna you're gonna help people, especially um, the underdog. You're gonna really help people. Remember the word of the series, actually. You're gonna actually help people with actual needs, especially the underdog. And then last week we talked about you're gonna include people. You're gonna include people in your life, and you're gonna help people feel included, especially the lonely. No more. Eleanor Rigby's. No more lonely people. 
We're going to help include people, help people feel included. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Now this week, we sort of get into the, like the main thing or the nuts and bolts of the, the terminology, the concept uh, of saying yes to Jesus or becoming a Christian. And I don't even often use the word Christian because it's lost any sort of real meaning. It's almost more of a political word than anything these days, I feel. Um, I'm going to read a few of Jesus' teachings, and then we'll try to get a clear picture of what Jesus was looking for from us, what Jesus was trying to start, uh, what clues can we get from Scripture about who he was, who he is, what he came to do. So um, it all starts with the word disciple. The word disciple. The word disciple is used something like 200 between 200 and 250 times in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the biographies of Jesus. And actually, they only make up like you know, 50, 55 pages or so in a Bible that thick. Um, but in those 50 to 55 pages, 200 plus times the word disciple is used. And it's often associated with what Jesus is looking for. I should say who Jesus is looking for. We'll see, uh, what, we'll see that in, in a minute. But I just want to kind of... Um, get you thinking about the word disciple, especially if you're newer to this church stuff. Um, typically, in our culture, when we hear the word disciple, we're thinking about a very specific group of people, uh, the 12. <clears throat> the Bible calls it the 12. Uh, most people could name a couple of the 12 disciples, even if it's just like Peter, James, and John. Maybe you couldn't, and that's fine too. But there was a day and time when the word disciple was a very common word, and a person who was a disciple was very common. A disciple would, there were thousands of disciples of thousands of different teachers. A disciple simply meant, I'm a student of that guy's teaching. I try to live the teaching that he came to bring. And so there were these traveling teachers, and they had a lot of disciples. So when Jesus came, it was in the context of a culture that there were, there were teachers that had these people called disciples. At some point in time, the word disciple fell off, and all you associated with disciple were those 12 special uh, teachers or, or 12 special students that followed Jesus, Peter, James, John, Andrew, those guys. So disciple became almost like a title, like St. Peter was, was a disciple, one of the disciples. But it had a much, a much broader meaning, meaning in Jesus' day and time. So that's important to take into this particular um, passage and those like. And I'm going to look at Luke 14 now. The question on the table is, what did Jesus come to do? What did Jesus come to start? What was he looking for? And, and the concept then is now Jesus was looking for disciples. And then we'll talk about what that means. So here we go, Luke 14. One of the great passages in the New Testament, by the way. Now great crowds accompanied him. So this passage starts off, context, great crowds, lots of fanfare. Jesus is a rock star, and he's got an arena full of people, okay? Great crowds are following him, accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and his wife and children, and brothers and sisters, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Jesus' PR team, like, handed in their resignations there. (laughs) 
Whoever does not bear his own cross, remember at this time, the cross was not associated with Jesus. The cross was like, you know, the electric chair or the noose, okay? If anyone does not bear his own means of death and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. That was kind of gross and a weird thing that Jesus said, but again, it goes back to being his disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation, not able to finish, uh, all who see it mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going off to war to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and uh, deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other's still a great way off, he'll send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. So therefore... Any one of you in this great crowd who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So what is Jesus looking for? He's looking for disciples. Now, a word about hate, because that's a pretty shocking. If you don't hate your mom, you can't be my disciple. Um, Greek and Hebrew alike, languages of the original languages of the Old and New Testament. New Testament was Greek. Uh, there were words that had a wide range of meaning, like a spectrum. And you would use context to determine the meaning of that word. So the word translated hate can either mean, like, I hate that guy, like you detest, or it can mean, Hold to a distant second. Now, using context, what do you think Jesus was saying? Was he saying, you seriously need to hate your mom like, like, like she plays for the Steelers? Or was he saying, you know, was he like, I want you to break the Ten Commandments and hate your mom and dad? Or was he saying, I want you to hold your family to a distant second compared to me? Which was he saying? Distant second. So why did they translate it hate? I don't know. I wasn't there. Makes no sense to me. That's not like that in, in most of the main. That's just one of those things where the translation choice there boggles my mind. Jesus wasn't saying you really got to hate people. He was saying everything is a distant second. To my teachings, to me, to my way of life, if you want to follow me. Now notice the juxtaposition of great crowds to disciple. Great crowds followed Jesus. But what he was looking for was not great crowds where you could easily, you know, if this was just about believing the right stuff, you could have great crowds. He is looking for disciples. And the disciple was the person that held everything else second when compared to Jesus. Let's take it another step. I'm going to uh, give you a little survey of what it meant to be those traveling teachers and uh, teachers with disciples. Um, everything I'm going to share comes from this book. <coughs> One of my favorite books. I read it again and again. I use it in reference to a lot of New Testament passages, new light on the difficult words of Jesus. Now, it is a 400-level book. If you don't love scholarship, if you're not jealous of my last name, Poindexter, 
Um, that's probably not a book that you're going to settle into. Like, it is not Max Lucado light Christian reading. It's, it's, it's in-depth scholar, uh, ancient Jewish Christian, Greek, Hebrew context stuff. But I just, if you are interested in that, um, thought you might want to check that out sometime. I just kind of citing the source of this stuff also, so you know, I'm not, not, I'm not making this stuff up. Um, so all of this stuff comes from that book, and it has a wealth of other information. Um, for Jews, in ancient Jewish culture, in Jesus' day, there were these sages that traveled around, these teachers that traveled around. They were often called rabbi, but it didn't necessarily, rabbi was a word that, that you use in a lot of contexts. You would call your boss rabbi. If you were a slave, you'd call your owner rabbi. It just meant my master. Then eventually, on, eventually later on, it, it came to mean almost like pastor. It was like clergy, okay? But, but at Jesus' day and time, they'd call them rabbis, but, but it didn't, that wasn't exclusive for the use of the term rabbi. Uh, there were these traveling teachers, and in Jewish context, they would teach scripture. They had their own understandings of the ancient Hebrew scriptures. They would have their own sets of interpretations called their yoke. And they would go to crowds and people would come and listen. There was nothing else to do. There wasn't electricity. wasn't Wi-Fi. So you'd go listen to these teachers. And they would teach you the way they interpreted scripture, the way they interpreted, uh, the way they thought you should live out the scriptures. And they would often invite students to follow them. And if you followed them, you were saying, I will take your yoke upon me. I will take your understanding of scriptures and I will learn them, learn as much about them as I can, and I will live it out. I'll help other people do it as well. I choose to link myself with your teachings as opposed to his teachings or his teachings or his teachings. They were all men back then in terms of those traveling teachers, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow this rabbi. That was the context that Jesus came. There were these traveling teachers. They had sets of interpretations, and you would follow them. You would be their disciple, and that meant as their disciple you would do the things that they said in your own life and you would obsess over their teachings and their example. Here's why this is important. This is so different than the typical American Christian context of becoming a member of a church and going to that church and swearing a little bit less and not telling dirty jokes and that's what it means to be a Christian. The Bible talks about the fullness of time. <clears throat> that God sent Jesus in the fullness of time. It's called the incarnation, when God became flesh. <clears throat> in the fullness of time, meaning, <clears throat> out of any context, in any culture, any point, in any time in the history of the world, he could have come in any way he wanted to, but he came very specifically at the time when there were these traveling teachers who had disciples who followed their interpretations of the scriptures. That's the context that he chose to come into. And so when Jesus comes looking for disciples in that context, it tells us what that means, what he was looking for, what he came to do, what he came to start. When he says this in Matthew 11, Come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This traveling rabbi offered discipleship to anybody, saying, take my teachings, take my lifestyles on yourself. Learn from me, because that's what you did. And then he said, my way of life is not burdensome. It brings rest for the soul, rest for the weary. It is very significant that in any role, he could have came as a professor, he could have came as a king, he, could, he chose to come in a context that was understood. This is one of those guys that you travel along with, you take their teaching, you obsess on their teaching, and you live it out. That tells us what Jesus came to do and what is required of a disciple. And it goes way beyond just believing the right stuff. Like, this is not raise your hand at a church camp and then wait to die. It meant something to follow a rabbi. I also really appreciate that there's like a brand management side to this. Like the rabbis in Jesus' day, they would go to the best of the best. Like you want the student that like is in the synagogue schools and it's the A plus whatever. You're going to ask them, hey, hey, follow me, follow me. Like, like you, that's who you want to be just like a college today, right? A college wants the best of the best to... to but Jesus, hey, if you've really gotten life wrong and are just beat down, follow me. Try my way of life. That was a radical, and I love, like, Jesus is not concerned about brand management. He's good with the riffraff. He's good with the failures, with the people who are weathered. You know what I mean? Like, weathered by life. That's who Jesus invites to follow him. This was very uncharacteristic of a rabbi. All right, I want to do, uh, I want to make one more move here. Um, and this is something, I don't know how to say this. This is like, this is kind of a new, fresh thinking. It's on my mind a lot. I'm still trying to figure out how to say it, uh, studying it quite a bit. So this is like my first crack at it. So appreciate it, take it for what it is. And if it's helpful, use it, and if not, whatever, Okay. Jesus says here that his yoke will create rest and peace. Other places in Matthew, he talks about his teaching as, as something that, when applied, will build your life on a firm foundation so that as storms come, if you hear his words and put them into practice, that's how he says it, you will be like a house built on a rock. So his words, his teaching, his yoke, his lifestyle will, will build your life on a bedrock. Now I could take like 20 minutes, I'm not going to, but let's try to flesh this out. Have you ever noticed that, I'm sure you have, like we have access right now to amazing amounts of information. Like I have this iPad here, it's about, you know, I don't know what, 15 pages thick. 15 pieces of paper thick. And yet, if I had a toothache, I could research the toothache. 
I could research medicine. I could order the medicine. It'd probably be on my front porch by the time I got home. I could book an appointment with a dentist. I could enroll in a dentistry school probably and then order Chinese food to, to medicate the pain in other ways. All from uh, unimaginable information, more than we could possibly ever take in right at our fingertips. We, we, are, we are inundated with information. Yet in the midst of all this information, we are at a wisdom deficit. Would you agree? Wisdom being that which brings order. That which brings order. The ancients didn't have a lot of information. But they craved wisdom. They craved divine wisdom. Many different cultures, ancient cultures, they craved divine wisdom. They wanted to know how to gain access to teachings that brought divine order to their lives and to their relationships. By saying that his yoke brought peace and would bring uh, build your life on like bedrock, Jesus was essentially calling his teachings divine wisdom. He was saying, I give you divine wisdom that will produce a rock-solid life. The disciple of Jesus is a person who decides to mine Jesus' life and teachings for his divine wisdom and to do two things with that wisdom. At all cost, build your own life around it and then help other people get to where you are with it. A disciple of Jesus is someone who actually lives out the teachings of Jesus and then helps other people get to where they have gotten, get to where God has gotten you. If you say you're a Christian, you have to become very familiar with the teachings of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, to be very familiar with the teachings of Jesus. Now, you know, and this, I'm a broken record up here. For me, that's at least 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes a day reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the biography, the life and teachings of Jesus. If you commit to that 15 minutes a day, and you do it most days, because we're not going to do it every day, right? <clears throat> but most days, you do that. That'll be over an hour a week in studying and reading the Gospels, the life and teachings, examples of Jesus, you're a rabbi. You learn from him. In just an hour a week, you will have read the Gospels a few times over through the course of any year. By the end of a year, you will be very familiar with the life and teachings of Jesus, more so than the vast majority of people who call themselves Christians. That's your pathway to learning the divine wisdom of Jesus. And then you focus on obeying that and following that, and you'll see the impact that it has on your life. When someone says they're a Christian or they follow Jesus, but demonstrates a complete lack of divine wisdom in their life, it looks really bad. See our politicians arguing about stuff like that lately with this prayer breakfast? On all sides, 
When someone says, like, links themselves with Christianity but lacks divine wisdom, it looks really bad. This world is living in a crisis of wisdom. We have more information than we know what to do with. We're living in a wisdom crisis. It's the thing people most feel. It's the thing people are most desperate for. And Jesus delivers wisdom in buckets, in buckets by the truckload. And your life will be better as you take his yoke and live it out. His sets of interpretations, his lifestyle, and live it out. And then we'll naturally be able to pass that along to others like we would the recipe for a good cheesecake. Like, this works, it's amazing, try it. And you'll find that as you help other people get to where you are with God, you put those two things together, the power of God's divine wisdom in your life and the power of helping others get there too, you'll be living the life of joy and peace and fulfillment that you never thought possible. That's what happens when we say yes to following Jesus and actually pursue his lifestyle and help others do the same. All right, we're going to do one last song, and I want to invite you to stand. And during this last song, well, number one, let me, let me go back. You, you go ahead and stand. If there's like, if, if any of this resonates with you in a way that it maybe never has before, and you're like, you know what, I, I really want to say yes to following Jesus, and you want to know more about crossing that line, two things. Next week, that's all we're going to talk about, is how did the ancient people cross the line of faith and become followers of Jesus but I'd love, you know, feel free to hit me up and, and we'll talk more about that specifically. Um, if that's something that you want to know like now before you leave today, don't hesitate to come find me and we'll talk about that. During this last song, maybe some of you have made a commitment to follow Jesus in the past and some of this uh, shakes you up a little bit somehow. Or maybe you're on the, on the verge of like just saying, yes, you know what, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Use this song in this time to invite God to solidify some next steps um, in, in your heart, in your mind, uh, in your will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for inviting us to follow you. Thank you for looking at us, um, weary travelers who've made so many mistakes, and inviting us to follow you. What an amazing invitation! What amazing grace! And right now, um, our hearts respond with, yes, we want to follow you. Teach us what that means. In Jesus' name, amen.